Hi, I'm Casey Hobbs. And I'm Shane Mason. And we're the hosts of Nurse Talk Radio. Please join us for this special edition podcast. Are you a sleep-deprived parent? Are you up at all hours of the night with your baby or young child trying to soothe them back to sleep? Did you know that sleep is just as important as good nutrition? I'm Marsha Pod, author of Secrets of a Baby Nurse, How to Have a Happy, Healthy, and Sleeping Baby from Birth. It's important to teach your baby to sleep through the night. Oh, welcome back to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs, along with Shane Mason. Sorry, it just nodded off. Her voice does something to me. We are two of the thousands of nurses on duty today. And here with us is RN and author of Secrets of a Baby Nurse, Marsha Pod. Always great to have you with us, Marsha. Thank you. It's always fun to be here. So I know we talk about the baby sleep basics each time you're here, but those of you who haven't heard the conversations, let's go over some of the fundamentals. So let's talk, if you would talk a bit about two months before a baby arrives, what should people be doing? So this is a really important time because women start nesting and it's a great time to really look at your baby's room. Where are they going to be sleeping? Maybe not in the first months, but maybe eventually. So when you're planning your child's room, it's important to look at how dark it's going to be. Do you, did you get the right blinds or curtains? Because you need it really dark? Really dark. Do you? Darkness buys you extra sleep time, especially in the spring when there's light sleep patterns, you know, for many hours. So very important to have a dark space. And then the next thing is what what kind of sounds does that child hear in that room if they're going to be there 24 hours, you know, sleeping off and on. So think about that. Do you have barking dogs in your house? Do you have a lot of uh, delivery trucks? Or do you live in a big city? Mm-hmm. All of those things. Or siblings in the house. That means you should have a sound machine. Help block the sounds of that mm. out. Point. Because big sounds on top of a constant sound tend to just blend. And kids learn to sleep much better when they hear sound on top of sound. So I'm a big believer of sound machines. So many yeah. families have told me great things about them for insomnia, even work great for adults. Mm-hmm. If you get the right sound machine with low tones that are slow, mm-hmm. sounds like driving down the freeway or in a jet plane, those are the best. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a humming vibration thing as well as the sound. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's nice. I, I, I always have some sort of white noise when I yeah. sleep. Like I've, yeah, a fan. From, yeah, growing up in Oklahoma... You would either have the fan on or the heater on at all times, and so I just kind of got used to that white noise. Yeah. And now, yeah, that's kind of nice. That's it actually nice. puts your brain into a different pattern, so that allows you to help fall fall into that good sleep. Now, do you think babies should have their own rooms? Okay, so the research shows that every single age group sleeps best in their own rooms. Interesting. Not that we do that, right? <laughs> but when you look at good sleep patterns in the brain and also restorative sleep. We all sleep the best when we have our own space, our own bed. Rule of thumb for babies, it's about keeping the baby near the mom the first six months, just so you can be there in case of any issues like, you know, congestion or vomiting. Right. You can hear that. Or um, some parents, you know, they don't sleep so well if the baby's in their room. So after two or three months, they are like, can I put this baby in a crib in a different room so I can get some sleep? Yeah. And so, you know, respect that because parents need their own space too. They need to be able to restore themselves. So if they're that kind of a sleeper that can't really handle all the noises babies make, then yes, they belong in their separate space. And then you just use a baby monitor? To- use it. Oh. 
Video monitors. They're oh, the best. wow. Video Video's monitors. Even better. So you yes. don't hear the, They're the yeah. thing. And you just can Didn't put them on realize, your iPhones these days. Yeah. Wow. So if you wake up in the middle of the night and you're wondering what your baby's doing you don't in have there, to you wake just them up. turn on the monitor and you can see them. Which is perfect. You, can you hear don't them. even have to wake you them up. You can see them. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so now the pregnant mom can also take supplements that help induce better sleep patterns. Probably didn't know that, but there's no. some research out of the Netherlands that show that women who eat a lot of fish during their pregnancy have kids that actually sleep better and longer oh, right fascinating. from birth. Oh, so So we is... believe it's the essential fatty acids yeah. in fish yeah. that make for better sleep patterns. Again, adults can take these, and it also can help sleep for wow, adults. Wow, brilliant. So Very pregnant good. women should check to see, you know, what kinds of essential fatty acids their doctors recommend that they be on with pregnancy and how much fish they should consume and what kinds to mm-hmm. be safe because there are some things that you that, shouldn't that eat too much of. That are not good in fish, exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, that's, that's another way. Sometimes taking calcium supplements can also ensure, with magnesium, can ensure good sleep. Very interesting. And so are there any other eating habits that parents should try to adopt for themselves or the baby right at the beginning to help with sleep or just overall nutrition? So once the baby's born, the best thing, once most moms today are breastfeeding, so once they start initiating good breastfeeding patterns, then I say, you know, look at your cycles of feeding. If you're feeding your baby every two hours, Half that time, your baby should be up and active and feeding and diapered and have some exercise and movement. And half that time, they should be put down, swaddled, and left Mm -hmm. in a quiet place to sleep. And so, you know, the first few months, it's really just about setting up good construction of sleep patterns. And I'm putting you right to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just talking about sleep. I need my bottle right now. I'm getting a little fussy over here. Indeed. So if the baby has survived to the four or six month mark, what should we be seeing if the parents haven't read your book and haven't consulted with you? Well, that's the best time, in my opinion, to really get going with this. So depending on the size of your baby and whether your baby was really born on time, you know, 37 weeks or later or early, which may delay things a bit. um, But assuming your baby's a normal baby, you can really start off if you've created a good rhythm and a structure, your baby's already understanding about feedings and about naps, they're going to be better cued in to these um, process of mm-hmm. putting down. Mm-hmm. And ideally, from the time your baby's, you know, just a newborn, you want to always put your baby down awake, okay, and let them learn to fall asleep. If they do that so from birth, it's not going to be a big problem. They're going to already be used to that. But if you feed them to sleep, which, by the way, is a interesting topic in and of itself because there's some research that's come out that shows that the emotional uh, response of women to feed their babies when they cry sets up bad emotional dynamics for later on mm, and which is makes linked sense. to obesity. Emotion, emotional eating. So, <laughs> so when you're upset and crying, yes. if she gives you that makes total sense. Yeah, if so, she soothes you that way, that's your first soothing technique for being upset. Yeah, and, and you know, my whole book and many sleep experts' books are about do not feed your baby to sleep. Good. Feed your baby to awakeness. Have that connection of fuel up and then activity. So, so much of the emotional 
body is created in these early months. Yes. So it's it's funny because I just heard a show this morning about dogs, and they said even with pets, one of the first things that you should do in those first few months that you bring them home is, you know, teach socialization skills, teach, mm-hmm. you know, these simple emotional skills of being with others or not being with others, yes. how to sleep. All that training happens really early, and we set that down really early in life. We're all animals, so we all have similar, you know, links to behavior and response. We like patterns. We yes. like consistency. Yes. Consistency and predictability, and we like to know when our feeding times are. All, all nature has feeding rhythms, mm-hmm. and so we need to instill that too and not attach the emotion of crying to it because babies cry for lots of reasons not just because they're hungry Mm -hmm. so yeah there's a lot that that really needs to be set into place in those early months which is amazing because it's not innate that you know these things that's the hard part for me so how do parents know the basics you know because it's not like you are born with this guidebook in your head it would be nice if we were huh it would be very nice (laughs) i You know, it's an interesting question, and mostly we learn this from our relatives. But here's the problem. You know, when my father years ago was a kid, he was one of six, and his mother was one of 13. But here today, we have, what, a couple kids? Yes. Okay. So Hopefully. And then people have left their families, and they've spread out. And so there's not that cohesiveness of parenting Mm -hmm. and cross-generation caregiving Mm -hmm. as much in America anyway as there used to be. So a lot of women have not learned those skills from watching and being in a large family and being with their siblings who've had kids. So it's got to be taught. And that's why you have to read The Secrets of a Baby Nurse, because this stuff doesn't come to you automatically. I remember my brother, when he had his first child, he said he was shocked that they let him come home. With the baby, because he didn't know what he was doing. (laughs) He said, "When you know, I get a car, and they go over all these basic things just to take a car home. And I took this baby home, and nobody said anything to me about what to do. And he felt so totally lost. Yeah. I think that's true of most first-time parents. Yeah, and again, speaking of that, Marsha's book is Secrets of a Baby Nurse, How to Have a Healthy, Happy, and Sleeping Baby. And you can purchase this baby sleep Bible at gotosleepbaby.com. We want to go on to a couple of listener questions, if you don't mind. Okay. Okay, so question number one. I recently read an article, Could the Size of Your Baby's Formula Bottle Make Him Overweight? A new study suggests parents might be able to prevent obesity later in life by changing one simple thing about an infant's diet. Is this true? And what are your thoughts about this? This is from Meg T. in Las Vegas. So this, again, is a very interesting question. Not a lot of research done about it. But we do know that bottle-feeding babies tend to be more overweight than breastfeeding Mm. because of one thing. When bottle-feeding mothers are looking at their babies and they've made, let's say, an eight-ounce bottle for them, they really try and get them to finish it. Yeah, because you think you need to because it's eight ounces. They don't watch for that stopping place when the baby Ah. turns away. They don't want to waste it, okay? Ah. So they're trying extra hard to get that extra ounce or two in that the baby might not really need, but they feel like, yeah, I should push it in. So. That's part of the problem. Breastfeeding moms do not have a clue how many ounces their child has had. They watch for the physical signs and signals that the baby's full, and they are, like, fine with that. 
So there's usually less overfeeding. Which makes a lot of sense. So it's not necessarily the size of the bottle then. It's about watching the cues of the child. Yeah. Question number two, what are the most recent findings on SIDS and what if any baby cribs do you recommend? This is from Jennifer B. in Santa Barbara, California. So SIDS is Sudden Infant Death Syndrome, and it's really a catch-all you know, diagnosis if an infant dies, especially in the first year of life. Um, most SIDS happens in the first six months. Uh, there's always research coming out that explores what goes on in the brain, what's causing this. So true SIDS is usually some defect of some signal that happens in the brain that shuts down the respiratory and the cardiovascular system. So it doesn't have anything to do with the crib. So technically, true SIDS cannot be prevented, yeah. okay? But because we've also put suffocation deaths in that category, because initially, you know, it's the diagnosis all infants with unexplained death have. Right. So when they explore what really happened here, for instance, this is a really rare event, but recently I read about a baby who died from inhaling breast milk. Really? They drowned, technically. Ooh. Okay. Now, you wouldn't know that. But if this was a baby with reflux and had eaten too much and mom hadn't kept him upright and went to put him down and that regurgitation lands in the lung and they inhale it, that technically could happen. So, um, you know, those kinds of deaths or suffocation deaths are defined differently in the end. They're like suffocation or drowning or whatever, but they're all thrown into that potluck SIDS Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. diagnosis in the beginning. So there's there are lots of preventable preventable death. And as far as, you know, this eating and then putting down, that's one of the reasons that I don't recommend people feed their babies to sleep because that is more likely to happen when you feed your baby to sleep. Right, that, that too they much. have a right. super full stomach and then you go to put them down and then sometimes they spit up. And so if you're going to go to sleep and you're not really watching your baby, it's so much safer if you really give a little bit of time, even just 15 minutes after a baby eats to get the air up, to let the milk settle, to make sure that all the spit up has happened before you put your baby down. And if you have a really young baby with reflux, they really should be head elevated. So Very important. there are ways to prevent this kind of thing from happening. Yes. Sad to say this, but when I go visit parents in their home, and I look at their cribs, and I talk to them about crib safety, unfortunately, I'm going to say half of the parents that I talk to about crib safety don't really think their unsafe crib is an issue. For instance, you don't want any bumper pads in the crib. That's a big no-no now because we know on average 12 babies a year die from suffocation and bumper pads. You need to walk away from that baby at night and close your eyes and go to sleep knowing that there's nothing and nothing hazardous in that crib area. And most parents really respect and care about that. But more than, than, I'd say, 40% of parents I visit have unsafe cribs. We've been visiting with RN and author Marsha Pod. Marsha's book is Secrets of a Baby Nurse, How to Have a Happy, Healthy, and Sleeping Baby. For more information, visit gotosleepbaby.com. Thank you so much for being with us, Marsha. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. I always like to come. For more information about this topic, visit nursetalksite.com. 